Two weeks ago, we introduced this Advent wreath down here in front of us. Uh, and I told you that we would talk about what each of these candles represent uh, in the weeks ahead, culminating with that last candle, the big white one in the middle, uh, at our midnight candlelight service on Christmas Eve, 11.30 p.m. We mean midnight candlelight, right? And it's my favorite service of the year. Uh, if you can, make plans on being here with us. It's a really, really special time. Uh, with a lot of just deep meaning. Uh, so anyway, all of these candles, though, they kind of represent that Advent theme that we have going on of waiting, right? Of waiting. And Advent, again, it means arrival or coming, right? Which is what Jesus did and what Jesus will do, right? It's what we're doing. We're waiting for the arrival. So as the light fades around us earlier, and earlier in the day, darkness invades. Stay alert, stay awake, don't fall asleep, right? And on the first Sunday of Advent, we lit the hope candle to remind us of the hope that we have in a God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And last Sunday, we lit the faith candle before Elder Jason's message as a reminder that faith is not just about thinking things but doing things as well. So I'll light those two candles now for us once again to remind us. All right. So now for the next candle, the pink one. That's my favorite color, by the way. It's true my wife. She'll tell you. Uh, the pink one represents joy, which is my favorite word. My favorite color, my favorite word. It's, it's meant to be. It's good stuff. <laughs> joy. So I'm going to have start, I'm going to start with reading uh, from Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11, reading from the New Revised Standard Version. If you guys would have a stand with me once again. You good? All right. <laughs> if nothing else, we know that you can just handle it. <laughs> All right. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion and give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. 
For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Let's pray. Father God, we need you. Prepare our hearts and remove the sadness that hinders us from feeling the joy and hope we have in the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we thank you that you are near to us and that we may find eternal joy and peace as you turn your face towards us. Amen. This pink candle is a little bent, kind of like us. We ain't broke. We just bent a little, right? Hopefully it doesn't fall over. Sometimes we do that too. All right, so let's dig into this passage a bit today. Uh, It's quoted elsewhere in Scripture by a pretty important person. Who was it? Jesus. Thank you. Hey, if you're in church and there's a question asked and you don't know, just say, Jesus, odds are you're going to be right. Right? Who's the king of the world? Yeah, all right. You get it. (laughs) So in the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel, Jesus was tempted by the devil, devil in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. And afterward, it says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news of him spread through the countryside. Yeah? He began teaching in the synagogues and was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, what we just read. So pause here for a minute and think about this. This is effectively Jesus' inaugural address, right? This is the first time he's going to stand up in front of people and he's going to say, some things, okay? He's telling us quite plainly to the original audience, maybe somewhat cryptically to us modern 21st century Americans, what he is going to be about, how he understands himself and what he's doing. His understanding of the gospel, right? The way things actually are. So Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit per this passage, because God has anointed him. By the way, if you don't know, the word Messiah in the Hebrew means anointed one. Yeah? It's the same thing that the Greek word Christos, where we get our word Christ, it means anointed one, right? So Messiah and Christ anointed, it's all saying the same thing. So anyway, God has anointed him to bring good news to the oppressed, right? Literally to preach the gospel, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus rolls in, he unrolls this scroll, scans down to this passage, reads it, rolls it back up, sits down and says this, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, I am the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And I am here to proclaim what? The year of the Lord's favor. And then, then, what happened? The crowd got really offended ran him out of town, and tried to throw him off a cliff. 
Cool. I saw someone ask recently, hey, what do you think if we were able to, like, take the Bible and shoot it out into space and some alien civilization was, was to grab it and read it, what would they think? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Like, assuming they could make sense of our language or could somehow get the historical context to even make sense of the narrative. Maybe something like, hey, if we try to help them, they're probably going to try to murder us. Best to stay away, right? But thankfully, God did not leave us uh, into a hopeless future of self-destruction. Amen? So what is this year of the Lord's favor? Have you heard that phrase before? It's actually a reference to a set of laws in Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Specifically in Leviticus chapter 25, the chapter begins with laws about what's called the Sabbath year, which is every seventh year in ancient Israel, in which the Israelites were instructed not to sow fields, not to prune vineyards, in order to the allow, allow to the land to what? Rest. Rest. Like a reboot for the land, right? After that comes this long passage about something called the year of Jubilee, which is also known as the year of the Lord's favor. After seven Sabbath years, so 49 years, Israel was instructed like this. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. This concept here is unpacked quite a bit in the passage that follows. And truthfully, there's a lot of really good stuff in here about what might constitute a biblical economic system, but we're not going to get into that today. The gist of it is this. It's a big reset button. The Sabbath year provided a reset for the land, right? But every 50th year, the year following the seventh Sabbath year, the society itself, the people, were given this reset. Refresh. God knows all too well that we humans sometimes just need a good reboot. And this jubilee functioned like that, rebooting the societal operating system. Ancestral lands were returned to their clans. Indentured servants were freed. It was a fresh start. If you had fallen on hard times and had to sell your land or possibly even yourself into indentured servitude, you could always look forward to the next jubilee, that next fresh start, that next reset, refresh. In this sense, a fresh start would enable these ancient Israelite individuals to become productive members of their society once again, yeah? Their family even, right? If granddad just was down on his luck, his, the, the rest of his lineage wasn't doomed to suffer that fate, right? But there's a, a further 
connotation here in the words of Jesus, this fresh start that, 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 pro- that was promised in Isaiah. It's different, right? Isaiah prophesies a fresh start, a year of the Lord's favor that, that goes on and on and on and on and on and on forever. Jesus is saying to us, I am the one you've been waiting for. And I'm here to give you a fresh start that does not end. A continual renewal, if you want it. A fresh start sounds nice, right? We've often joked about trying to find the the reset button on the year 2020 because there's definitely something foul in the system. Like the operating system is hung up something fierce. You know how like back uh, in the olden Windows days, whenever the, the, you would drag a window and it was like, right? There was like a thousand copies of it across the screen. It kind of feels like that right now. <laughs> Have you tried turning it off and back on again? Yeah? A fresh start, a reboot, reset, refresh. So back to the beginning, right? Back to basics, that boot-up sequence that's necessary to load the operating system so that we can get back to work being productive citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen? We can find our first step, I think, back before Jesus' inaugural address in the words of John the Baptist that Miss Chelsea read for us this morning. So John, he's making some noise in the countryside, right? And a group of religious leaders were dispatched to go kind of investigate what's going on. Who are you? Right? What did he say? The first words of John the Baptist recorded in the Gospel of Luke, they're an answer to this question and a confession. One I think that we would do well to recite ourselves on the daily. Here it is. I am not the Messiah. In our words, I am not the Christ. John says, I am not the Messiah. I am not even worthy to untie his shoes. I'm just a guy pointing other people to the real thing. I'm not your guru. Can we just say that together right now? I am not your Messiah. Good. Worship team, would you mind waking your way back up here this morning? Let's think about what that means. Among other things, it means this. I am not God's anointed. I am not the source of life and light. I am not the Savior. I don't have all the answers. I don't have life figured out. I'm just somebody. I need Jesus. I'm just here to point other people to him. Amen? This confession, it's one of humility. It is to relinquish whatever power 
we may think we possess over ourselves, over other people, over whatever sphere of influence we may have in this world. But in this disarming, it also gives us a reason to let go. What's that reason? None of these are my burden to bear because I'm not God. But I need him. That, my friends, is a reset, a refresh, a reboot. Amen? I'm not him, but I need him. So this year of the Lord's favor, it's a big reset button. With this reset comes an opportunity for a fresh start. And when you start fresh, it's good to reestablish yourself in some basic concepts and practices. Paul, think, uh, Paul lists three things in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18 that serve as foundational disciplines, in my opinion, in this spiritual life that we can put into practice all the time. Doing these things, Paul says, we keep our spirits souls and bodies sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord, at the advent of Jesus Christ. Here it is for you, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you three things. Rejoice. Rejoice. We've talked a lot about joy lately, right? And here we are on this third Sunday of Advent, having lit the joy candle. Paul here instructs us to rejoice. To rejoice is to show our joy. Yeah? To make it known to show our joy. Think about it, that's a gift. You're giving something away, yeah? Some weeks back, I gave a message explicitly on this subject of joy in the context of discipleship and spiritual formation. And I concluded for you that giving and receiving joy might be the single most important thing that we Christians are to be about in this life. If you haven't listened to that message yet, I want to encourage you to go back on YouTube or Facebook and, and, uh, or the podcast or whatever and give it a listen. It's good stuff. Number two, pray without ceasing. How in the world am I supposed to do that? How do you do that, right? How do you, how do you never stop? I don't know if Paul intended for us to literally never stop praying. But I think we can pull a principle here that we should be constantly aware of or in the spirit of Advent, awake to the presence of God in and around us. Think about how that might affect how you go about your daily life. If you're constantly aware of God's presence around you. 
if your, thir- if your first thought, rather, was, was being followed around by someone making you feel guilty and telling you, no, don't do that, right? Then we need to have a conversation about your conception of God. Hit me up. So imagine, if you could, go about your day being constantly aware of this loving companion who is always there with you and for you. Even so, prayer. Life presents us with many opportunities to pray that we don't often make use of, right? Prayer doesn't have to be a three-hour group session on a Saturday night for it to count. It can be, and those times certainly have their place and they're important. But we've been talking about giving ourselves a reset today, so perhaps we could utilize some of these small moments in our days when we catch ourselves veering away from the character of God. These can be spiritual disciplines that function as a way to train us to actually stay awake to God's presence in every moment. Like those moments at the grocery store where the the cashier is taking a little longer than you'd like and you're muttering under your breath your frustrations. Like those times we get cut off in traffic and we shout obscenities. (laughs) Sometimes literally cursing other humans. Like those times at the fast food restaurant when they've once again left out three of the four things I ordered and oh man, do I want them to know about how upset I am. There's a very simple prayer that you can say in those moments that has a way of both reminding you that you are not Christ and disarming any pretense of power or entitlement you may think you have. Here it is. Are you ready? Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm. That kind of kicks the old ego right in the teeth, doesn't it? Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Next, Paul says to give thanks in all circumstances. This is the practice of gratitude. Miss Nikki talked about that this morning. I know this can sound so cliche, but take some time this Advent season with this fresh start to count your blessings. This too can function as another means of waking you up. Wake up to the work of God in you and around you. Keeping your mind and heart fixed on these things has a way of keeping us in that mode. It keeps things in perspective for us, right? And think about that. This is, once again, what does it say? Give thanks, right? It's one thing to be joyful. It's another thing to show your joy. It's one thing to be thankful. It's another thing altogether to give thanks, right? Show it. The spiritual life that we're supposed to be about, it's one of cooperative transformation of thoughts and actions. And we're given these three simple things to help this reset, to help get it on the right track. 
on the right foot. Give and receive joy. Pray or practice being aware of God and give thanks. One more for you for the 21st century, if you're up for it. Turn off the notifications on your phone for a week. Just all of them. It'll be there when you get to your phone later, right? You're not going to miss anything. But turn them off for the week. See what happens. You know, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, decided that he was turning off all notifications on his phone just like a, a week or two ago because he noticed his, his phone screen time was so high. <laughs> give and receive joy. Pray. Be aware of God. Give thanks. Can we practice those this week? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. May our lives be an unceasing prayer to you, despite our labors and losses. Grant us gracious hearts that overflow with gratitude to overcome and wash away all of our worries. Thank you for loving us exactly as we are. And for you, my friends, the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May you find your joy this week in the face of God and forevermore. Amen.